Welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Brian, a veteran teacher who has learned a lot over the years and created this podcast to try and motivate educators and at the same time trying to motivate myself. I wanted to do this series to present some possible strategies to help us improve in the classroom. And joining us today is author, teacher, Robert Wilder, who wrote the book Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. Mr. Wilder left a lucrative advertising career in New York and got a job as a teacher at a Santa Fe alternative school. And for most people, they would say, forget this. But for Robert, he never looked back. Now he brings his unique perspective as a teacher, parent, and former student to a series of laugh-out-loud essays that show teaching at its most absurd and most rewarding. got you into the education field because you had a pretty good career going on and then you switched gears and went to education. What's the story there? Well, you know, I, I didn't plan on being a teacher at all, Brian. You know, I planned, um, I grew up in the East Coast where pretty much you only had a few little options, right? You had to be a sort of a businessman or a doctor or a lawyer. And I, I came out of school and I went into advertising in New York and uh, I just really didn't like it. You know, after a few years, I was doing pretty well, but I ended up leaving the business and leaving the East and coming West more to write than anything else. And when I got here, I sort of fell into the teaching job by sort of picking up a summer gig at a local sort of hippie preschool. And I found I really liked working with kids. You know, one thing led to another and now I'm, you know, I've been teaching at the school where I am now. This is my 13th year here and I teach mostly high schoolers now, but you know, I sort of fell into it and I found out I really like it. What about it did you enjoy? What kind of grabbed you as versus working for the advertising job that you had? Well, you know, the thing about working with kids, and you know this, is that it's never boring and it's never predictable. When I worked in advertising, there was a moment where I worked on a, on a brand and I was sort of getting bored of doing the same thing. I called a headhunter and I started approaching other places to go and I realized you know, at least for me in advertising, I would be doing the same thing just for a different product for the rest of my life. You know, with students, it's not, you know, it's never the same. You know, when I, when I taught middle school, I'd come in one day and a kid's nose would just start bleeding, you know, or a kid would walk in without any shoes on. You know, with the high school kids, they'll sort of challenge me to sort of prove that books are worth their time. So in the classroom, it's never dull for me. Every day is a little bit different, isn't it? Absolutely. You, you've taught the little ones, the middle schoolers, and the high schoolers, all ages, right? You know, I read something today about what Stephen King says about writing. The only way to learn is to learn how to be a writer is to write a lot and read a lot. And I think with teaching, if you really want to be a good teacher, you got to teach a lot. Most of the time I teach teenagers, but then during the summers, and I teach adults at writing workshops. This summer I'm going to actually work with Native American kids on essays for the college applications. Every week part of my community service program, I teach first and second graders how to write and revise. So I'm always mixing it up. I'm always trying to teach different groups of people because I think it makes me a better teacher and also stops me from being like some of my own teachers as a kid who burned out, who got so tired of doing the same thing that they did sort of burn, and I don't want that to happen to me. If there's a group that wants me to come in and teach something or, or speak to them, I'm really happy to do it. With all this experience, you decided to write a book, uh, Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. What led to that getting started? 
The Teacher's Lounge book is my second book. My first book was about being a parent called Daddy Needs a Drink. The teaching book came out of sort of the same impetus. You know, what I found with teachers is that they want us to be saints. You know, they want us to be Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds or, you know, Stand and Deliver. They don't want to pay us anything, but then they want us to sort of be saints. And I thought, you know, there's something odd about that. And, and I wanted to sort of get a human side to being a teacher and also a humorous side. You know, a lot of people don't realize that teachers have great senses of humor. Things that happen in the classroom are very funny. And I sort of wanted to show the more human side of, of what a sort of difficult and wonderful profession teaching is. So I decided to write the book. The public has a misconception of a lot of teachers, don't they? They really want us to be perfect. You know, they want us not to have any emotions. They don't want us to get upset when a kid's rude to us or a parent is demanding. They don't want us to have any feelings. And again, that's okay if you're going to pay us a lot of money, right? But they don't want to pay teachers, and they want to work us to death, and then they don't want us to be human beings. It doesn't make sense to me. Whatever you're doing, you're a human being, and that's a full range of emotions, right? That's a sense of humor, a reverence. You can get angry, you can get upset, you can be joyous, all those things. But sometimes I think they don't want us to be like that. And, and I felt like I needed to show that through the book. How important is that sense of humor, not being so much a comedian, but just having a sense of humor in the classroom? Well, for me, I think it's everything. I think it keeps you sane. Because instead of getting angry about everything, you can have a sense of humor about it. And it, my students are raised on humor. They love The Office. They love Simpsons. They go to comedies all the time. And it's so interesting that... People think that humor and rigorous academics can't go hand in hand. I think they can. And for instance, for my students to laugh at a, a joke on The Simpsons about a streetcar named Desire, you know, by Tennessee Williams, means they have read it and understood it. Otherwise, they're not going to laugh at it. So I think it's really important to understand that, the, especially now since everything's all gloom and doom in the news, a sense of humor is keeping us alive. And I think if you don't have any sense of humor, the kids get that. And they don't really want to spend time with you in your classroom if you've got no sense of humor. It means you don't get it. You're not with them. And I think, you know, when I worked in advertising, one of the things it did teach me is to try to understand your client. You know, my client happened to be teenagers. For, so for me to say I, I refuse to understand anything about their life or pop culture is not doing my job. And not only does the sense of humor keep us educators intact and from going insane, but also these kids also have a lot of stuff going on in their own personal lives so that humor can be used to keep them engaged as well. It's odd to be sitting in a classroom sometimes and you, if you teach humanities, you know, a lot of times we get into some pretty thorny issues through literature and sometimes it can seem a little awkward, and you can really diffuse sort of a hot situation by humor. And a lot of times it's self-deprecating. I read a book by a teacher recently about part of being a teacher is, is happily playing the fool. I think that's really important, too, that they need you to sort of act out things that they feel because if you do that, then it'll show them it's safe for them to do that. If you're not happy to play the fool, then you can't expect your kids to open up to you at all. Can you give us an example of a situation where humor has worked for you? Teaching Santa Fe at, at a, a day school, and a lot of times we're in a culturally mixed community, and then we bring in people who are, like I brought in Juno Diaz, who won the Pulitzer Prize uh, last year for his novel, and he's from, he's from the Dominican Republic. And there was a lot of discussions around race you know, in my classroom. And for me to say, look, I am the, you know, I am a square white boy from Connecticut. And to out myself as a square white guy who is uncomfortable with issues of race but think they're vitally important, I think that really helped my students because a lot of them are Anglo who have some sense of white guilt and don't really know how to deal with this race issue. 
And so for me to stand up and say, look, I actually ate white food as a kid. I lived in a place that was mostly white and I didn't get it and I'm still learning it. Let's do this together. Then I don't feel like the expert. You know, then they don't think I'm the expert and they're the novice. We're all in that together. And then I think they're willing to sort of take risks to understand things about themselves and other people that they wouldn't be if I didn't sort of play the fool. If you play the fool or if you show a sense of humor, some teachers might see that as showing weakness and that the kids are going to run all over you and the whole don't smile till Christmas philosophy that a lot of educators have. (laughs) How do you balance that between your classroom management of being strict and having a sense? humor. I mean, does you know, having a sense of humor really mean you get run over by the kids? Yeah, I've heard that. You know, I've never really had that issue only because I think one of the things is I'm very honest with the kids. I'm very transparent and I will let them know when I'm really serious about what we need to do and when we can sort of joke around. And the other thing I do is I'm really, really prepared in the classroom. I think one of the things is you can have a sense of humor. To enjoy that sense of humor, you can't drop the ball. So in other words, I'm very organized in the classroom. The kids know what's happening every day for the whole year, basically. And when we start talking about literature, I know that work inside and out. They can tell that I'm dead serious about it. I'm extremely knowledgeable. You know, they also know I'm a writer. It really helps that they know I'm writing every day with them. So in other words, they're not the only ones stressing over their essays. I stress over my own writing, and I respond to their work with incredible respect. So in other words, when I read their essays, I'm going sentence by sentence asking myself, is this the best sentence this writer can do? So I think if you have that preparation and you totally understand your subject and you're prepared, you can go anywhere. You can digress. You can have senses of humor. You can tell stories because the kids understand that you know what you're doing and there is a backbone to you. I think what happens with teachers a lot of times, you can't wing it. If you want to have a sense of humor, that's great, but you can't wing it and have a sense of humor. And I think if you prepare a little bit more and you're really ready to go, you can go anywhere you want with the kids. They'll understand where you're headed. So it's not so much about being, you know, having a frown on your face. It's being prepared and having that knowledge content and present it in a way that's going to engage the students as you do. That cuts down a lot of your classroom management problems. Kids are really smart. They know when you're faking it and they know when you're really invested. And I think you're right. I don't think it has to do with like you have to be militaristic. You know, it's more like if they get you really serious and passionate, they'll respect you. If they think you're phoning it in, you're a dead man in the classroom. What are some memorable situations or scenarios that you wrote in the book, some tales from the teacher's lounge that you can share with us that come to mind? I think any week there's stuff going on in the classroom. Like there's an old experiment on talking about race, about brown eye, blue eye. I don't know if you know that experiment where you give sort of power to people with brown eyes uh, to show the people with the blue eyes what it's like to be in a press group and vice versa. And I remember when I started teaching at the school where I am, there was a teacher who was in the middle of that experiment but had to take a day off and asked me to be a substitute. And I walked in not knowing what was happening, which, which I think happens a lot to teachers, especially the substitutes, where you walk into a situation where this class is already sort of in motion and you're supposed to catch up. But no one had told me this sort of this sort of class sociological experiment was going on, and I walked into what I really thought was like Lord of the Flies. And I found out later that the teacher had sort of already started this experiment, and but it got way out of control. And you know, it was one of those moments where, as a teacher, 
I think I realized then that you always have to sort of have a bunch of tricks up your sleeve for no matter what the situation is. So in other words, and this is more for veteran teachers, the longer you teach, the better you get at this. But I know at any given classroom, something dramatic could happen. Like I've had kids faint in my class. I've had kids have seizures. I've had kids, their parents die and they walk in. I've had all these different things happen. And you have to be ready to make all those moments teachable moments. So even if things are seem to be going really poorly, I think there's always a moment. Those are sometimes the best moments to teach, but I wasn't ready at that time. I feel now I'm a little more ready to sort of deal with whatever happens and steer it into a moment that is quite teachable. What does it really mean to be a teacher today? Well, I think we're asked to be a full-service situation. I think in the old days, I know with my own teachers, my parents didn't really expect them to raise us. And I think now we're sort of expected. I have parents come in all the time saying, I don't know what to do with my kid. Yes. You know, can you help me? And I didn't really ever remember my own folks doing that. I think we're asked to be parents a lot more than parents understand. For instance, if a kid comes in crying or if a kid comes into your class who's got obvious uh, signs of an eating disorder, all those things, you can't just say, I'm only there to teach them grammar. You have to follow that problem or issue all the way through till the kid gets help or whatever. And I think people don't realize, so, and I'm lucky, I have small class size, but my brother who was a teacher for a while saw 150 kids a day and he would worry about every one of them. And it was almost impossible for him to treat them all because every one of them had different issues. Some weren't native speakers. You don't realize in a classroom of 20-something kids, every kid has a different learning style. They're different levels cognitively. They may have stuff going on at home. They have economic issues. And we're asked to address all those kids and teach them and react to them personally. And it's exhausting. Really, it's a very, very difficult job. Most people at the end of the day can't directly trace their impact on other human beings. And teachers can. And that's what keeps me going more than anything else is seeing students say, you know what, you helped me out and now I'm doing really cool things in the world. And, and I think it's a terrific thing to have at the end of the day to be able to help other people. I want to thank my guest, Robert Wilder, for appearing on our program. Once again, his book is called Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. If you'd like to get in touch with Mr. Wilder for workshops, speaking engagements, or you just have some questions or comments, you can reach him at robertwilder.com.